Hi, I'm Avi Friedman, and welcome to Network AF. On this week's episode, I'm talking with Grant Kirkwood, CEO of Unitas Global. Uh, we're talking about cloud, how it's built, what's behind it, uh, peering, and how the cloud gets to uh, end users, edge connectivity, and uh, the state of the art, and even more the state of the business about how people are getting connected, and then community and uh, the community side of networking and how. To get in, you can get into a career path in networking companies. Hi, and welcome to Network AF. This week, I'm talking to my friend, Grant Kirkwood, uh, who's built a number of successful businesses and run them from uh, you know into the 90s and the dawn of the internet to leading edge cloud and, uh, and connectivity technology. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, cloud, about peering, about the edge, about how people get connected, um, and also about community and how we get people into networking and how we grow um, uh, our diversity into the next generation. Uh, Grant, if you could give us a quick intro on yourself. Sure. Great to be with you, Avi. And uh, yeah, so I, I've been kind of in and around internet infrastructure for uh, basically my whole career. Um, started uh, my first company in 1996 when I had uh, a lot less uh, gray hair than I do today. But um, yeah, kind of grew up in, in the early bulletin board systems and very slow modems and, and uh, just kind of fell in love with it. And so, um, yeah, Unitas is my third company, but uh, have started a couple others before. Um, really, just like the, the the plumbing and the kind of infrastructure that most people don't really see um, as part of the internet and cloud and you know the kind of physical manifestation. So um, it's always been kind of my passion. Um, so anyway, glad glad to be here. Thank you, and thank you for uh, helping the world stay connected. I love that I get to work with folks that. Um, make the infrastructure and then the applications uh, that sit on top that people use. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, so at Unitas, as you mentioned, not your first company. Um, what uh, what what got you to want to start Unitas? And you know, sort of how do you think about where where your focus is? Well, it's funny because um, Unitas, uh, being my third company, I kind of wanted to do something a little different. Mm -hmm. um, I'd been in the internet infrastructure space for, for my whole career. And so I thought, well, you know, let, let's combine uh, all the IT resources that enterprises consume and kind of provide that as a, as a fully baked managed service that includes everything. Um, and that's literally what Unitas means in Latin, at least we, we say it does. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the whole idea is that we could kind of do that on a global basis. And what's happened um, in the time since we started uh, providing those services to uh, today, the need for very custom, uh, bespoke kind of IT solutions has decreased uh, with the prevalence of AWS, GCP, Azure, et cetera. Um, but the need for more sophisticated networking solutions has, has increased. So kind of come full circle, um, do, back to doing what uh, I've, I've spent uh, the early days of my career doing, um, which is which is fun and exciting, although it's, you know, the, the world's changed a lot in, in those years, um, at least in some ways, not, not in other ways. Mm -hmm. um, still fiber, still data centers, yeah. still conduit uh, in the ground that makes it all work. It's pretty amazing, really, 
that now actually the world has simplified in that yeah there's optical underneath but from a you know ip basis it's not like we're hooking up sonnet and understanding all that stuff although there are good things about that from a telemetry perspective uh uh and debugging versus ethernet but it's pretty it is pretty amazing that the uh that ethernet is is effectively the same thing as when we were doing vampire taps or maybe you escaped vampire taps but um you know just moving from hubs to switches and all that and it and it sort of still works and when you think of the whole internet is actually running as a serial protocol one bit at a time underneath you know you just you know sort of audit how fast computers are versus as you mentioned the era you know when when people got into it so you know it's interesting i hadn't thought about that really but um i i learned more when we started kentic about in the us people think about internet connectivity as something i go get to the internet provider and then as you said it stack i go get from others i know that in in asia pack and europe we have customers where they are much deeper into the it stack you know for their companies now some of them are thinking about well we don't want it all to be aws so we need to do as you said bespoke networking and also you know other solutions is that is that i want to say a a business cultural problem you know, for you when you took this approach in the U.S. that people weren't expecting, um, you know, to have a service provider and a solution provider, you know, um, you know, or MSP all in one, or has that been an advantage? Um, I think it was initially because, um, you know, in the, in the early days, people kind of focused on, you know, what what type of storage array or server mm -hmm. or, you know, what kind of software is running on it. And they're very opinionated about those things. Um, and that, and that was that was fairly globally, I would say. Um, and people have become much less opinionated, right? So it used to be, I need to have a rack that has this type of yeah, you know, thing in it, right? Um, and I think, you know, the rise of kind of on-demand consumable cloud services has negated the need for that level of kind of specificity. Um, on the other hand, you know, in in the early days, the the, the how you connect to that thing was almost an afterthought, right? Because it was it was driven, the consumption was driven by the IT buyer uh, in the organization as opposed to, you know, someone with kind of a broader remit. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 you know, kind of connectivity or telco buyer bought their pieces and they were almost quite distinct. Um, and so it was an afterthought. And what's happened is that's kind of shifted too. Um, now you find that the consumers of those same IT services in cloud form are now also consuming network services, you know, and they kind of have the expectation um, that they can consume those services the same way that they're used to, you know, spinning up virtual machines, right? Um, and the, the business hasn't quite caught up to that uh, industry-wide, which I think is a great opportunity for, you know, for our business and, and others that have kind of taken a more modern, you know, network as a service type approach to, to consuming those, those that capacity. So really, um, if I think back to a dinner that I had when I was at Service Central and we had a vendor in and we had, I think, 10 people from the vendor because we had the account rep, the account sales engineer, the storage sales engineer, and then one rep and, and sales engineer from each of the five 
things that they had, you know, two sands and an object store thing that didn't work and an object thing store thing that was going to work at some point and, um, you know, a, a, a filer and, you know, trying to talk about all this. And for all of them, the network was like, you know, not 10 megabits, but, you know, gigabit or something. And I was like, you do understand that, like, this is at the dawn of big data. You do understand that that would be like sucking the ocean through a straw to put, you know, half a petabyte on the other side of it, even a 10 gig connection. How long would it take, you know, to do something? And, and, and there was, you know, even though cloud is all these things, it was a very different focus, um, you know, at the, I would say at the dawn of it. Um, but it almost sounds like the APIification, right? You know, network as a service, um, the enterprises want to consume that way and, and to talk about cloud. So I've always thought of cloud as other people's network storage and compute. Um, now we are in, um, everything is infrastructure as code. And so cloud is effectively, um, in some sense, it's just all these technologies we know with weird names consumed via API, but the enterprise, you know, uh, sometimes use it at a, at a higher level. And so how, how do you see your customers, you know, thinking about cloud? Do they understand that network? Are they, are they getting bit by the fact that they don't take network into account or do they understand the networking, you know, is a critical part of that? Um, and, you know, it, you know, yeah. How, how do they view that strategically? And then, you know, as they bring it, as they bring it into their operations. Yeah, I mean, so so there are some enterprises that we see. Um, well, let, let me give a little context for us. So, so our, our customers tend to be uh, either large regional or multinational enterprise. Um, so they're they're you know typically locations in different continents and and hundreds or thousands of employees. Um, and so, what I would say is there is a subset. Um, that is uh, very focused on on network and connectivity um, as kind of an underlay to their broader IT strategy, um, but they're in the minority, and it, and that's usually because they've had a connectivity focused practice as part of their business. So, as an example, we have a customer that's a healthcare provider. Um, they provide software uh, for hospitals and, and healthcare facilities. Um, and as part of that, in their traditional model, uh, they actually procured last mile circuits into, into those healthcare facilities to provide the delivery of their software. Mm -hmm. um, and so they had what looked and felt very much like a telco within their business. Mm -hmm. um, but as I said, that's very much in the minority for the most part we more commonly see enterprises being bit by the fact that they didn't consider the needs of the network uh, as they, um, you know, as they looked at what their IT strategy is. And especially like in the last two years, in particular, we've seen this in a, in a big way where all of a sudden, you know, we had this massive workforce that shifted to work from home, um, all of a sudden jumped on, Zoom and Teams and WebEx and you know all these other things and turned on video for the first time, um, and and got very used to that mode of working, and then you know fast forward to you know the last you know six nine months all of a sudden you got a bunch of people back at the office, still some people at home let's say it's hybrid half half whatever, uh, and 
finding out that all of a sudden, oh, that office doesn't have enough internet bandwidth in the office uh, to support the number of remote video users that are now collaborating, you know, from home, um, and very, very quickly scrambling to to get more more uh, internet capacity. Um, and like that kind of scenario is is very commonly playing out. I think also, you know, the shift away from traditional MPLS to SD-WAN as, as a, you know, quasi-replacement alternative. Um, you know, same, same thing there. We've seen a lot of enterprises that just kind of go and buy whatever local connectivity they, they have from whatever local provider in that particular market exists. Um, and assuming that it's all just going to magically work and there's going to be this good, consistent experience that looks and feels like their traditional MPLS. Uh, and then quickly find out that, you know, the uh, regional provider uh, in um, South Africa uh, that they bought from doesn't peer with the tier one ISP that they have in North America. Uh, and so therefore that underlay is, is, a, is a bad experience um, and that impacts, you know, what they have over the top. So yeah, I, I think probably 70, 80% of the time, more commonly we, we find the enterprises are saying, uh, oops, <laughs> as it relates to the, to the network. So I just want to to poke at that. When COVID started, we had a lot of customers that were that were saying, "Hey, how, how can we look at what will happen if we um, unleash the 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 you know Kraken and um, you know do split tunnel instead of bringing everything back through our corporate network?" But that mm-hmm. was as things were starting to go video, as you point out. So you're seeing. Uh, sort of the the reverse effect of people being trained on new patterns uh, and then uh, coming back, even if it's less frequently, but, you know, to offices, which wind up, you know, just having wound up under provision just because the pattern, the, the usage patterns had changed. That's, that's interesting. I, uh, we probably could, could scry in our data and see that, but that wasn't something that I was, you know, aware of, uh, you know, was going on. So um Oh, very much so. And then, and then you've got the enterprises that did the, you know, traditional centralized internet, you know, decryption and inspection stack. Um, one, one, but one that broke our... two years ago. That broke two years ago when everyone, you know, was trying broke, to come in. Yeah. Broke, broke in a day. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Literally overnight, you know, they, they had just enough internet for the office when everybody was meeting in the same room, went home, you know, all of that internet for... I think in that case, 40,000 employees all of a sudden was going over VPNs back to their stack. I mean, it, it, it broke, it broke in a day. I mean, they, they had, they had to break out that local internet um, by policy literally overnight or, or that business couldn't have continued to operate. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's, it's been interesting as we work with service providers, they certainly understand peering and interconnection Um Digital enterprise that really started before or after SneakerNet was ever a thing, um, where the business is the applications that run on the network. They sort of understand the value of that, even just from a performance optimization. Like in the 90s, peering was like, oh, I'll save a lot of money. I don't have to pay, you know, X as much. But right now we see it more from the software companies think about it as, as control and control over performance and, and, and the destiny of my packets. You know, at least I have the food when there's a problem to go do something rather than calling someone up or emailing them and hoping they'll do something. Um, we've definitely seen 
uh, a lot of enterprise that are more traditional that come at it from the perspective, oh, I have a CDN. As long as CD, CDN will, will get to me, you know, and it'll be fine. Do you think that um, the average, I'll say mainline enterprise that's becoming a software company, but did not start that way, are they becoming more interested in peering? Or are they just, are they more looking for someone to help them you know, solve the problems that might happen when, as you said, you know, I go back to the office and there's congestion or I'm, I, you know, I shifted from on-prem to a bunch of SaaS services, which, you know, take a lot of bandwidth, you know, how, how do you see that going in the, in the non-software company enterprise? So I, I would say um, they don't know to be interested in, in how that interconnection happens. Um, so, so they're very interested in making it work well, and very interested in you know getting content or applications to users as quickly and efficiently as possible. And I think yeah, you know, there's probably a de facto assumption that well, you know, put it on CDN and that's going to happen. Um, what they don't understand is why uh, the you know, very aggressively, you know, pair with any eyeball kind of network approach that the CDNs have uh, contributes to that. They don't understand that piece typically. Um, and in the enterprise space, you know, we do a lot of education about, um, you know, what is a tier one ISP and what is a tier two ISP? And does tier one mean, you know, better or not? Um, and, you know, the, 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 the typical enterprise, um, you know, their basis of knowledge is the marketing slicks that are, that are put out by the, by the large global carriers um, that basically tell the story of bigger is better. Um, and then when you explain that, well, actually, you know, the, the reason that CDNs are so efficient at what they do is because they take the exact opposite approach to interconnection with other networks. Um, and so there's this education process. And when 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 we literally draw the picture of the donut and the tier ones and the tier twos, and by the way, all this stuff out here is what you actually are connecting to, um, you know, that that light bulb kind of goes off. Um, but it takes education. Um, you know, when we when we have that conversation with the enterprise, they get it. Um, and and it, you know, it becomes important. But to your point, they don't know to be interested or pay attention to that without that kind of level of, of education in terms of how the, you know, how the internet actually works. Yeah. It's been interesting to see one of our customers, Netscope does a lot of aggressive explanation really about, you know, not only why it's, why it's good to be using someone that's broadly connected and can be better than, again, the CDN argument, better than just, you know, throwing up a couple of connections and, and doing it themselves. But it does seem like in the world of APIification, the the default is, well, the packets will do whatever. Packets, what? You know, or they'll just magically happen. Um, when I was at NetAccess, we took this approach because I wanted to, the reality was, dirty little dirty sequence actually did peering because it was, you know, 
$800 a megabit or $50 a megabit. I'd rather have $50 a megabit, uh, you know. So the actuals, it started with cost in the 90s for sure. And probably sure. a fair bit of ego, like I am doing what the people that build the internet do and just the engineering, you know, I want to understand the internet, which is this cool thing. Um, but it was true. We noticed when we started doing performance tests that, as you say, there was this bifurcation and we tried to make it about an end. Like, yeah, yeah, buy from you know, someone, someone who's in the club, but the people in the club don't directly connect to this whole host of other people. So um, you talked about donut. I know what that means, but maybe for people listening that don't, would you like to explain or, you know, what, what is the donut peering peer, you know, what is this bifurcation that we're, we're talking about here? Well, besides chocolate and sprinkles. Yes, exactly. Uh, besides that. <laughs> I mean, so so the whole the whole concept of donut pairing is that you you really if you look at the internet as a whole, there's I think 74,000 ASNs on it today, um, somewhere in that neighborhood. Although it keeps growing, yeah. uh, there's a very small number, uh, double digits of those which are effectively tier one ISPs that that have uh, you know settlement free pairing with 100% of the the routing table. Um, and I like to use the analogy of, of Fight Club. Um, you don't talk about it. And once you're in it, you, you don't let anybody else in it. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got uh, somewhere on the order of five to 6,000 uh, ASNs that are the, the, the classic tier two networks. Um, half of those being content, half of those being eyeballs. Um, and if you look at the traffic on the internet as a whole, something like 75% of traffic um, transits, originates, or terminates between those tier two networks. So that a classic analogy I always like to use uh, is somebody uh, at home on their cable modem watching something on Netflix. Um, you know, some, some of the very largest uh, cable providers are you know, very large, but still tier two networks that buy transit from tier ones, um, as, are, as is Netflix. Um, and that represents a huge chunk of of traffic, um, and and you know Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook, you know, go down the list, uh, and then line up all the eyeball networks. They very very much fall into that into that same category. And so, if you think about the donut with the five thousand uh, or so ASNs that sit out there in that kind of tier two ring, and the small number in the middle, the whole idea is that if you're a tier two eyeball network and you go around the donut and peer directly with a tier two content network, you're effectively creating a bypass ring around the tier ones in the middle. So that's why we call it donut right. pairing. Um, but it does demonstrably improve performance. Fewer hops, lower latency, better throughput on, on a whole. Less on chance whole. for congestion, yeah. And yeah. now we have the Taurus, which is really, which is really if you had the, the plane, which is the overlay networks, you know, we have customers that feed us their DNS and we can see what sites they're going to. And 90 to 95% of their traffic is these meta networks, like, as you said, Netflix or CDN, like Akamai, you know, or whatever. So it is pretty fun. And and I can think we have BGP analytics so we can see this and we classify edges and who's getting transit and all that. But my favorite, speaking of Fight Club, my favorite informal algorithm for looking at tier one versus tier two is the best way to add, to find out who's a tier one is to ask every network who are the tier ones. They will all name the actual tier ones and themselves, 
and then you remove the self, the, you remove the identity mapping, and then you're left with the people that are that are probably you know really are. But yeah, from a strategy perspective, um, uh, I really believe I'm not just trying to be fair to our tier one and tier two customers that you know having some connectivity from from the the donut hole and some from the donut is what you want to do, and and I'm hopeful that. Um, as people think about taking their their packet destiny into their hands and connecting to cloud, starting with cloud, whether you do it yourself or whether you use, you know, a network as a service or or your service provider to do it, um, I'm hopeful that can get people into it because, uh, well, I mean, we're seeing a little bit right now of at least hot topic around splinter netting and what's going on with with Russia and you know Ukraine from an infrastructure perspective and Russia from a censure perspective, um, you know if you if you don't have enough connectivity and so far I've just been thankful the connectivity is rich enough that when the physical infrastructure is working, you know it's mostly working. Um, on, on just on, on on the previous note for a second, um, totally agree with you. We talk to our customers all the time about you know the best way to get the most diverse routing table is with a tier one and a tier two. Right. Um, Interesting. Even though you're a service provider, you'll recommend that's what we did at NetAccess because it was yeah. a battle we weren't going to win, saying we were better than, you know, level three of Verizon or whatever. And it was right. based on technical fact. Right. This is the best way to control your destiny. Yeah. If you if you multi own between two tier ones, you're not creating a lot of diversity in your routing table. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you you know connect to a traditional tier one and a very aggressively you know peered tier two, you're, you're creating a lot of diversity in your routing table and that, that gives you optionality. Um, okay. And, you know, to, to your point about, you know, what's going on with, with Russia and Ukraine, I think the same thing applies a, a lot there too, right? You look at some of the, um, you know, the, some of the Russian ISPs um, that sit on the, the peering exchanges, uh, you, you know, th- throughout Europe, the links, DKX, Amsics, et cetera, um, you know, they get a lot of their connectivity through there. I, I know that some have been disconnected as a result of the sanctions. Um, but it is something something I've been talking with people about recently is, you know, the unintended effects of sanctions of that it effectively completes the, the uh, call it the Great Wall or Iron Curtain or whatever we want to call it of, of internet censorship. Um, whereas everything that's been 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 done within Russia to this point has really been, you know, layer four and above. Um, and we've seen that VPN usage in Russia grew like something like 8,000%, you know, just in the first week of the invasion. Um, and so there are, there is a sizable, you know, percentage of the population that's using VPN technology to get to, you know, Western news sources and whatnot. Um, but I worry that, you know, if you cut off access to the rest of the routing table completely by turning down transit and peering uh, with Russian ISPs, then that no longer becomes an option, right? Then you then you right. literally do have a splintered internet. Right now, at, at from a layer three perspective, it's still you know there's there's still routability. Yeah, there's, there's been discussion about it, but definitely some connectivity has changed, but it hasn't been a bifurcation, you know, it, it hasn't been cut off. I mean, the, the only side that's been cut off, cut off is just when physical infrastructure is detro- destroyed by the tragedy. So, you know, right. uh, when the last cell tower goes down, there's no, there's no connectivity. So um, yes, hopeful people, hopefully um, 
putting the infrastructure back together will work, you know, and, and be pretty quick. And um, the good news is the technologies that we've had since the '90s work pretty well for this, um, and uh, and you know are are working to keep things going even as you know we can definitely see impact um, as as infrastructure is being attacked physically. It's it's sad we 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 think about infrastructure being attacked for decades as a logical attack, and and now you know we actually have it being physically attacked, but it is it is mostly staying up and uh, you know fingers crossed on that. Um, so. Peering, the point is to get between networks, which can be sort of eyeball or content or both. Maybe that's a naive view. That's, you know, that's, that was the 90s model. Um, I think of Edge, there's been a lot of, you know, oh, we'll put trailers in parking lots. The servers can talk to each other. Um, and before COVID, I, at the end of 2019, I had just been to a number of customers where, um they actually had like a little data center in a closet. And, and I had this realization, it's like, wait, this is the actual edge. The actual edge is not, you know, applications looking to run today, you know, is not, is not this or driving your flying cars or whatever. Um, but, um, you know, the other side of the edge, which became critical with COVID is, is you know, sort of the home. You, you said to me something, which is that you, you, you had a conversation where people were talking about the fact that the, the business model that, hasn't changed. Um, I guess I'll ask you for what was that insight? You know, what was that conversation, uh, you know, that you were in that was about access, you know, for, for home and business? Yeah. I mean, so, so um, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think the concept of edge computing is still the on-prem, you know, server in a closet model. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, that's still in place in a lot of in a lot of businesses, although I think decreasing, generally speaking, at least certainly as a percentage of overall workload. But yeah. um, but it's still there. Um, and that you 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 know you mentioned flying cars. So as an example, you know the the you know the GPU that's in the Tesla that's doing the real time you know driving. You 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 couldn't send that up to a cloud, no matter how close to the edge it was. Yeah. I would not want my self-driving car to be reliant on a good uh, LTE connection to, and if to the telemetry is delayed by two seconds, you know, it could be okay. When we get to real metaverse ready player one, then right. we have to solve some application architecture issues, but then you might need, you know, sub millisecond locality, but you know. that's right. Yeah. So that, that kind of has to be in the car at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. So, so if you think about the overall, you know, getting back to what we were talking about before, where there's kind of, you know, there was, the universe of you know IT, which are servers and storage and stuff like this, and then kind of telecommunications to connect it all together. Um, the 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 compute side of it, um, the consumption model has transformed to this very you know sign up online, credit card, launch a virtual machine, and go do something with it. Um, and then when I'm done with it, I turn it down and I stop paying for it. Um, even though that's that's all underneath all that are very physical assets. So it's buildings and generators and you know servers, right? Hard, you know, heavy metal stuff, right? Um, even though it's very much a capital investment to do all that stuff, the 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 industry has shown us very clearly that you can say, I just want to consume a little bit of that just for a little bit of time, turn it up, turn it down, and build a very successful business doing that. Mm -hmm. um, the last mile access. Uh, business, the traditional telco fiber into a tall, shiny building 
has not evolved uh, in the same way. And so I think there's a real opportunity for last mile access providers to shift the way they think about providing access into buildings and into something similar where you're consuming the network services and capacity that you need kind of on demand for the period of time that you need it uh, and not do the traditional sign the piece of paper for the three-year contract at the fixed price for the fixed product that you have, you know, for that whole term, whether you need it or not. Um, you know, I think there's a real opportunity for that for that part of the business to catch up to the way that we've started, you know, become used to consuming IT, um, you know, compute and storage capacity. They still have all the capex costs, though, so they they need a they still have a nut <laughs> to keep that building connected, um, unless they have a more flexible back you know uh, backhaul. And I remember all the people in the '90s uh, that were talking about doing you know wireless and all that that actually just bought T1 tails and lost a lot of money pretending <laughs> they were doing wireless but weren't actually. Um, and you know, it's interesting. I talked with Elliot Noss about. Um, smaller ISPs and why he's trying to be one, but we have a lot of uh, both direct and, and we have some WISP aggregators that, um, you know, larger WISP that does what we used to do in networking co-opetition, you know, they sort of sell to people that, you know, flexibly provide to their neighbors. Um, you know, there, there are people doing and playing with this, but usually it's it's sort of more the people that were if they're not old enough to be hams, they sort of have that mentality, which is like communication is good and we need to keep this going. And um, sort of like what you would imagine could happen in clandestine if the barrier came down, you know, to communications for a country, what would people do? They'd probably try to, you know, CB ham, what, what the digital version of that is, you know, connect things. Is that is that what you mean? You know, like, like uh, is it wireless or is it just a business model? I mean, uh, and are you talking about multi, mostly multi-tenant buildings? you know, uh, residents and, and, and office? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yes, mo mostly multi-tenant. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 um, it's, it's not a technology problem. It's a, it's a, it's a business model problem. And, and um, yes, there's still that cap capital investment that you make to, you know, core into a building and put fiber into it. Right. Um, but it's the same, you could argue that it's the same as, Amazon making a capital investment to put servers in a data center and make them consumable in, in that model, right? Um, I think it's it's harder for a telco to do it because it is so locationally defined, you know, who is in this building. Right. Um, and, you know, are those customers sufficient for me to recoup the capital investment? But I think the thing that that you know cloud in general has shown us is that if you make needed resources easy convenience to consume. drives consumption convenience yeah, that's right. drives consumption right? make it easy to consume it gets consumed um yeah. and telco capacity into tall shady buildings is still very hard to consume it's still calling yeah. salespeople and negotiating and yeah you know signing contracts and yeah. more rest of it it's still not a so it's a network as a service for the eyeball edge uh whereas network as a service has been because I'm very familiar with all the network, uh, with the virtual interconnect uh, companies. Uh, I did Packet Fabric version one when it was just Metro area, where we're just like, 
damn, why is it so hard to get between buildings in New York and San Francisco? You know, all these big peering buildings are all over the place and you have to dial through the phone if you're in Singapore and order a cross connect and do all this stuff, you know, and then the modern generation is the, the non-marketing speak is they're a telco that automates so you don't hate dealing with them. Mm-hmm. Right. That, and that's ultimately what, what people are trying to do is telcos and, and every business starts thinking about customer success and the lessons from SaaS business. So you're saying just, you know, do that to the edge, probably be easier, you know, if there's more consistency so U.S. is difficult because of the regulatory inconsistency. Probably be easier if there's more consistency about access to infrastructure and you know stuff like that. But um, it's interesting. So we'll throw the challenge out. Um, anyone's interested in doing that, reach out to me. I do know some investors that are happy to invest in deep infrastructure, uh, even if you're not tokenizing it and doing packet coin and and, and whatever. So you have any grand crypto plans for Unitas? You're not going to do packet coin or or colo coin or cloud coin or anything like okay unicorn <laughs> unicorn yes that would be a good one so uh, how many people is is unitas now so it's about 130 okay um and as you look at the industry one of the things you said to me which i've talked with other guests about is um that the people that wind up building this stuff are people that have been at it for I'll just say a few decades. Um, how do you think about career progression and getting people into uh, the networking business at, at Unitas? Well, I, I think I think so. So I've kind of observed um, over the past you know period of time, ten years, let's call it, that that there's not a lot of uh, fresh fresh blood, I hate to use that term, uh, kind of coming into the into the industry, you know, focused on the underlying, you know, plumbing of the global network, right? Um, and, and you know, if you, if you look around in the communities that I think, you know, we both have kind of spent most of our lives in, uh, it's mostly the same people, <laughs> um, you know, changed, you know, we've all changed business cards a bunch of times, but um, it's really kind of the same group of people that have been doing this for a long time um, and that the need for that plumbing to, to keep operating and growing and being operated reliably, you know, on a global basis um, is only getting more and more important, right? I mean, the, the, you know, digital economy that we were talking about 20 years ago has very much arrived and, and the internet is how it works. Um, You know, everything from, you know, going to, the coffee shop and using the little striped card to, you know, mm-hmm. pay for your coffee. Um, with no internet, there is no coffee, <laughs> um, <laughs> which would be very unfortunate. So, I think that the need for making all of that work um, is is as important as it has ever been, and, and continuing to get more important. But it, re- it it requires that there's you know the next generation of people coming into it. When I when I got into this space, it was you know, kind of racks of modems uh, with fans blowing on them to keep them cool. <laughs> um, and, you know, today it's a, it's a very different world. We, you know, we don't just, um, you know, fun, fun story. When I, when I had our first pop in the one Wilshire building, um, you know, running, hey, there we go. <laughs> running by ISP circa 1994 with the UPS next to the water heater uh the uh you know modems on on the back you know the, the ceo cabling run so 
it looks it looks looks very familiar. Um, and you know, running running cross connects in one Wilshire was was you know there there was no service order, there was no portal. It was you grabbed a spool of Cat six and a ladder and and probably a drill mm-hmm. uh, to to go pull that 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 cable. Um, so that part has very much changed, um, but the need for what it enables uh, has not. Um, and so we we need more people to kind of you know get interested in that piece of it from a career path standpoint. Um, what what I like to encourage is people to get into the network operation side. So like like other network providers, we ha- we have a knock um, where you know we have teams of people that monitor the health of the network and monitor customer sites um, and respond to issues that that, that happen, whether that's a, a backhoe or you know something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and from there, I think there's a natural progression. Um, to you know the engineering and design and architecture of how uh, of how networks work and, and interconnect with each other, um, but you know, like I said, it, I think it's important you know for all of us in the in the industry to uh, find people that have the intellectual curiosity to understand you know how does that kind of packet plumbing actually work uh, behind the scenes and and get interested in it. And I will say, you know, be first to say that it, it's hard to compete with, um, you know, the, the kind of newer, sexier, you know, the latest, greatest app that you can go and develop and and uh, make a mu- bunch of money at it. It's, it's a lot less glamorous, but it's, you know, equally or if not more important. Um, Do so. you have a way to quantify, we used to call it the bright, shiny eyes versus the dull potato eyes, right? The people that, which which is... You know, it's difficult because this is really something you need to reach back into the educational system in college, especially, and, you know, sort of tell people this is your destiny to own. Um, you know, don't just show up and wait for someone to tell you what to do. But, you know, do you, do you try to quantify the, you know, um, ask questions, um, you know, explore, uh, you know, figure out, you know, as you see, whether it's support or system stuff or our internal applications or networking, you know, these are the tracks. Do you sort of quantify that, um, uh, you know, to people when, when they're hired or, or look for curiosity or things like that when you're hiring people? You know, it's, it, it's, it's a tough one to answer. Um, what I would say is that I, I, I look for people that have, a curiosity, um, and you can often see that in manifest itself in in ways that you wouldn't have in a typical interview, right? Um, people that have intellectual curiosity tend to have other interests um, or rabbit holes, as you might call them. Yes, uh, they go so- deep on. You, you could find it, and all of a sudden, you're down the <laughs> cooking or car or travel or whatever, and. You know, you can learn from them and pick a pick a mini religious fight in a constructive way too. So yeah, you know, I mean, it's one thing that I, I kind of took for granted growing up in in you know in in this kind of community was that um, everybody in the community has such varied and interesting and deep interests in things that have nothing to do with the plumbing of the internet, um, and and they're all yeah, they tend to be you know 
more than a passing interest, but a kind of almost obsessive nerdiness about um, understanding everything you possibly can about it. Uh, but again, you know, those are totally varied and, and wide and, and can be, you know, out, completely outside the gamut of, of technology or communications. Um, but the people that uh, typically have, you know, some interests like that, that they're very deep on and passionate about completely outside of this tend to be the ones that have the most curiosity about, about this particular space and then have a kind of self-fulfilled or self-driven need to fulfill growth in their own career path. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really hard thing to quantify though, to your question. Um, how do you qualify, quantify that? I don't know. <laughs> when you're looking for software developers, you can look at their GitHub, you know, if they're in a position to do that, or you can ask them to walk you through something like that. But, you know, yeah, I mean, a lot of people that we would love to have come in haven't had the might not know that they can fire up a cloud lab or that there's educational material out there. I know Nanog is trying to address this, but they might not have had the, you know, they might just not know enough to know what questions to ask. Um, uh, you know, yes, if you have someone that's purposely gone down the path, you can say, what is your home? What, what does your lab look like, right? It may not be sitting in your house. It might be fired up on DigitalOcean or, or Linode or, or, or whatever. Uh, but um yeah, we think about that. How do you how do you reach out, look for the people that are interested there? Maybe even do a little selling. Anna at Packet Fabric talks about going for math or physics nerds and talking about the internet as a large distributed system with interesting dynamics and harmonics that you know you can study and and tune. Uh, but that's that that'll be more. You know, it could be for graduating seniors, maybe, but also you know more senior people that realize that these things are not all separate, right? That the math of things and, and, the, and, the, and, and the systems that we depend on are, you know, that, it, that it's interesting to tie those together. Um, I definitely think we could be doing a better job, especially around peering of teaching and explaining and peering, we didn't talk about this, but one of the interesting complexities is it's not just about the technology, it's also about the business and politics of that. So um, yeah, ideas are welcome. Um, so I guess if, if someone wanted to uh, uh, be seen favorably applying to UNITAS and they were younger in career, focus on passion projects in whatever area, would that be a good way to uh, stand out? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, I, uh, I happen to be a physics and space nerd, so I'm always looking for people to geek out and talk about black holes with, but- um, Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, That's I mean- good. So what is the, what is the, was it, was it a galaxy or a black hole that was on its side? I read some article and I was like, I don't really understand why this is news that there's a black hole that's rotated with respect to the plane. Was it the plane of the solar system that created it? Or did, did you follow that? I missed, I missed what that was, but I didn't really understand. I, I didn't follow that one, but I, I did just see that they uh, found this kind of bubble uh, that's like a million light years across of, that's only in the, in the radio spectrum uh, and they think it originated at a either a, a black hole or a, you know some kind of super supernova or something um, like uber nova. I don't know whatever the like yeah. the next term would be. Um, but uh, no, I'm not I'm not familiar with the the sideways black hole. That sounds interesting though. But maybe yeah. an event horizon that is like looking at uh, a piece of paper edge on, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I understand conceptually. It's like. I have a number of those simplifications. 
I, the math and physics departments both tried to get me to be a math or a physics major because I was running their computers and they made me take some specific classes that were helpful for computer science, but it was clear that I was going to be the Salieri, not the Mozart <laughs> of those. I was, I was going to be, I could consume, I could understand anything if you give me enough time, but I wasn't, it's not where, you know, my passion was. So, but I do think that, you know, there's a lot of musicians that, that are in software and internet, you know, stuff in particular. And I think there's got to be some residences. I'm not a musician, so I don't really, you know, see that in my head. But physics, for sure, the way I was taught physics is very similar to running network because you're always saying, what should it be doing? How is all the stuff derived from the principles? And there's so many goddamn bugs in networking <laughs> that whether it's cloud networking or whatever it is, it doesn't work the way it should. So you always are on your feet, you know, you're on your toes. You need to understand what it should it be doing. So you can say, is this a bug, you know, or not? And it does take an interesting kind of, you know, personality to enjoy that kind of, pedantry i think yeah i think i think you know part of it too not to go at the risk of going on a tangent but um you know part of it is is system level thinking um that it's a very specific um set of disciplines that you have to be uh you know very proficient and naturally kind of aligned with system level thinking physics being one of them certainly um you know, things like environmental science, where you have, you know, thousands of interconnected things is very much the same. And networking is inherently one of those, 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 those things. And that's, um, you know, to, to the point about who, who do we look for, that, that's probably the other one, is that people that think in terms of, you know, interconnected uh, yeah. network of things and how they interact with each other. So to take the sort of, it's not necessarily a con to that point, but just for context, I, I was VP of engineering at one data center company, although really was the backbone above net. And I was CTO at Server Central, now Deft. My understanding is, again, very conceptual of physical data center design. Like I understand and I could talk about UPSs and flywheels and whatever, but if you actually ask me to put the leverts in the right places and really understand what's going on, or if you ask me the physics of, why the light bounces around this way. And, you know, it's like in my head, there's a prism that WDM is a prism and there's some active stuff or you could do passive. Like it's possible to do system level thinking about from the micro up to the macro with good approximations that map. And you don't really, I don't want to scare people like you need to understand all these different things. Um, you know, it's you can have working approximations, which is what doctors do for the human body and the internet, and you know, stuff like that. Totally, um, totally agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, and if there are people interested in getting in, please ping, ping, feel free to ping Grant or myself. Grant, how can people how can people reach you and, and read about Unitas as well? Yeah, just uh, say our website unitasglobal.com. Um, my uh, email, phone, it's all all right there for, for anybody that wants to reach out anytime. Cool. So I'm Avi Friedman. This is Network AF. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, at Avi Friedman. I'm Avi at Kentuck.com. Um, and uh, you can find Network AF uh, by Googling it. It has a site and on different podcasts that you can uh, download and like. Um, Grant, thanks for being on. And um, 
look forward to continuing to uh, see what you build in the uh, infrastructure space and beyond. Thanks, Avi. Nice, uh, nice chatting with you. Really appreciate yeah. it.